Welcome home, and those of you online, we are so glad you're here today. We are doing a series for the book of Galatians called Identity Crisis, and you might be going through an identity crisis. I know our country is, our world is, and we are about ready to do something pretty amazing in this country that we get to do every four years is vote for a president of the United States. And uh, before we open up our word today, as we understand uh, the identity that we have in Christ. I think it's super important just to, to speak just briefly for a moment of who we are in Christ Jesus, that we have a God who literally we can say, just like we sung before a moment ago, it is well with my soul. It is awesome to know that God's got the whole world in his hands. And no matter what the outcome's going to be, uh, whether we are a Democrat, whether you are a Republican, an independent, doesn't matter. What matters is that God is in control, and all is well, no matter what the outcome is. So if everybody, grab your Bible. We, I want you to open up as we're going through Galatians. You're not going to Galatians. Oh, no. We are getting a running head start to understand the scene, what's going on, Acts. I want you to go to Acts. Acts chapter 9 in our Bible, that's the fifth book in your New Testament. Uh, for me, that's page number uh, 192. Uh, but that, I'm sure that's not yours, uh, and that mindset. So, so Acts chapter, Acts chapter nine is where I want you to go. And I want to ask a simple question as we begin today. We're calling today's message straight out of J Town. All right. Now you thought maybe some of you like straight out of Compton? No, no. It's coming straight out of Jerusalem. It's right out of J Town, and it's it's in this place where uh, you could stay straight out of Jesus's town, or straight out of uh, uh, Jesus follower town. I don't know how you want to get there, but. This is a fascinating tell what took place inside a great uh, assembly of people as they gathered together, hear the gospel, they saw the gospel, they saw Jesus come alive from the dead, and, and everybody was like blown away that he's God. And what does God offer through Jesus Christ? He offers forgiveness of all sins. He offers us hope. He offers us an awesome word, grace. And this is the question I want to throw to you today. Is grace, is the grace of God enough. Is the grace of God enough? Now, the answer to that question, just in case I know you're on the edge of your seat right now, you're about to fall over. All right. It is yes, absolutely. Absolutely more than enough. It is tremendously enough. And I hope we get to see that today. But before we do, as we get to unpack this and we see how Paul's going to start in Galatians 2, he introduces three characters to us. One, a guy named Titus. Titus was a straight up Greek. Uh, we don't know Greek, but he did, and he was not a Jew. He did not follow Jewish customs or laws, and he's a, he was a pivotal player that we're going to see in a moment. And then there was another guy with Paul. His name was Barnabas. Now, Barnabas, that wasn't his real name. In fact, it tells us in Acts 4.36 that Barnabas was given this name by the apostles. This was, uh, they, they watched him, they saw him, and Barnabas means the son of encouragement. Imagine that. that. That is a cool guy to be around. How many of you guys have a guy that, is, that sees you, not for your, your, your mistakes, your failures, remembers you and tells you, remember when? Remember when you were a jerk? Remember when you were a bad guy? Do you, do you have a friend that's like that? How many of you have a friend like that? That's like that, that kind of guy that's like a jerk. Like, reminds you, of, okay, all right. 
cool. How many of you have a friend? Maybe let me know at home, dude. I want to know at home what kind of friends you have. All right. Do you have a friend that's like the son of an encourager who's like always encouraging, doesn't care what your past was like, it just accepts you for today and what tomorrow is all about? How many of you got a friend like that? Woo! All right. Some of you first service, nobody had a friend like that. All right. If only they knew they had Jesus, right? All right, we have a friend in Jesus, but cr- crazy. I think it was just they didn't have their coffee yet this morning. All right, so the reality is, uh, listen, Barnabas was a great friend, and he looked at everybody, and he was an encourager, and this was a guy you wanted to be around. Well, one day in Acts chapter 9, as the church is moving on, a guy that we saw last time, Saul, he discovered the hope in Jesus Christ. In fact, he found that grace was enough because he was on the road to Damascus on his way to kill Christians, and he would say, uh, amazing grace, how sweet that sound. But I realized it did. It saved a wretch like me. You see, I once was lost. I now was found. I was blind. Literally, he was blind on the way to Damascus. And then he actually saw. But now I see. And he saw the truth. He saw that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life, that believing in him, that he is the fulfillment of everything he grew up and understood, that he was taught about the law of Moses. Now, many of us in this room didn't grow up with 613 laws to follow, but what Paul saw in Jesus was the fulfillment of every law. He lived a perfect life. He did nothing wrong. He thought nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong with his hands, his feet. He did everything out of love for humanity. See, Jesus is God in the flesh, and when Paul met him on the road to Damascus, his life was forever changed, and he discovered grace, and, and, and he got away for three years in this Arabian night moment in the Saudi Arabian desert, and he just unpacked grace and love and acceptance of who Jesus is. And when that transformed him and hit him, he went up to Jerusalem, and he met this guy named Peter, James, and he ran across another dude named Barnabas. Look at it right here with me, Acts chapter 9, um, verse 26. I'm going to read it out of here. Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says, when Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried repeatedly to associate with the disciples, and yet they were all afraid of him, as they did not believe he was a disciple. How could you be a disciple? You were just killing people just a few years ago. We heard you. We saw you. You took some of our friends. Our friends are in prison because of you. Our friends died because of you. Saul, come on, bro. They didn't believe him. So this awesome phrase right there, verse 27 says, but Barnabas. Would you say it with me? What? But Barnabas. Ah, such a cool, say that three times fast. All right. (laughs) Took hold of him. Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to this guys and said how he had seen the Lord on the road. And then he had talked to him and how he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus at Damascus. He's like, I saw this guy. I've witnessed. He's not who he once was. He's now a child of God. You guys, he's a Jesus follower. Don't be afraid of him. He's cool. Follow him. Follow him. And this is, this is coming straight out of J-Town. A whole new identity is forming out of, in this guy named Saul, who's now going to change his name to Paul, and because of a guy named Barnabas. And then it says there in verse 28, so he, meaning Paul, was, was with them and moving about freely in Jerusalem. So Barnabas, he did his thing. He convinced these guys, encouraged these guys that Paul is not a bad guy. I would have to argue and say, 
Barnabas just may be the most influential person in all the Bible except for Jesus. Barnabas, think about it, was with a guy named John Mark who Paul didn't want to be with. And Mark, because of Barnabas' influence, his encouragement to come alongside him, we have now a book in the Bible called Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it tells us about the story of Jesus. And if it wasn't for Barnabas, Saul might have been considered, hey, he's a bad guy. Don't listen to him. He used to kill Christians. Jesus can't transform this life. No, no, no. Barnabas is like, no, no, this guy's awesome. Look at what Jesus has done. He is different. In fact, he changed his name. Look on his license. It says Paul. This guy's neat. And when that happened, now we have like all these letters written to us in the New Testament written by the, the hand of Paul because of a, a guy who's on the side. He's not looking for recognition or name. In fact, he was one of the big church leaders. He was, he was a, the leader of everything, a lot of the missionary trips, and he would separate himself. He would actually transition from Barnabas and Saul or Barnabas and Paul. He would later, you would later read Paul in Barnabas. He took second fiddle. He didn't care who was in front. He just wanted to be about Jesus Christ, the mission of Jesus Christ. Barnabas is probably one of the most influential people in all of the Bible. And, and this guy did his job. Because of this, Paul, he gets excited. He starts sharing the truth. It says to us, verse 28, that speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord, verse 29, and he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, Paul was, but they were attempting to put Paul to death. So because of that, when the brothers learned, see, now they're brothers. <laughs> now the apostles and Peter, James, John, they're friends now. Okay, thank you, Barnabas. He says, when they heard of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. They're like, let's keep you out of safety. Let's not let them kill you. And in fact, they, they, he jumped in a, like a basket and went down out of the, he just, he's escaped. He, he got a, an escape route. And he went and he just hanged out in his hometown of Tarsus. And that's, that could have been Saul's, End of the story. That could have been it. We don't hear any more letters. But because of Barnabas, we hear more of the story. In fact, I like how uh, uh, oh, that, that Paul Harvey used to say. And now, let me show you with you the rest of the story. Look at Acts chapter 11 for a minute. What happens to uh, our, our guy here? Barnabas, it says the news, verse 22. Yeah, chapter 11, verse 22. It says, the news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So we're still in J-Town, all right? And so they heard about how the gospel was spreading. Jesus Christ, the movement, the church is growing. And so they sent out Barnabas, our leader, the number one guy. He's, a, he's a drafted, number one. And they sent him off to Antioch. So then when he arrived, he witnessed the grace of God. Would you say it with me? He witnessed what? The grace of God. Now, this is our theme. This is our subject that happened out of J-Town. This is the thing that people were wrestling with. And I hope maybe you have an identity crisis going on. Listen, the grace of God is sufficient. It's more than enough. He says, the grace of God was going rampantly. So Paul rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. Follow the way of the Lord. Just do it. For they discovered this about Barnabas. This is kind of a neat trick uh, or a neat thing spoken about him. He says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And considerable numbers were being added to the Lord. You, you think that that's a great ministry. But Barnabas knows something. It's not about me, myself, and I. And ministry is not about one person. 
Ministry is about a community. It's about a group of people. It's about accountability. And so who does he go and get? Peter? Does he get James? John? Nah. He goes and get a murderer. He goes and gets a, a revolutionary guy who's destroying the church. I want to go and get Saul in Tarsus. I know where he's at. I'm going to leave Antioch. It's not too far from here. I'm going to, I'm going to go. So he left Tarsus, verse 25, to look for Saul. I wonder if he's going around doors. Hey, do you get over that, that guy's at who was killing people? He goes, all right, he's over there. Shh, he's over there. Well, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it says this, checks out. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers of people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Where do we get our name, Christians? You can think Barnabas and Saul, and we got... Could you imagine if we're all called Jesuses, right? That'd be a cool name, but we're called Christians because Christ is the name of the Messiah. Christ means Messiah, so we're Messiah followers. Christ is not Jesus's last name. It's just a title. It's his office. It's his position. He's the savior of the world. Jesus is, his, is the name that we know him as, and so Jesus, Christ, and we are Christians. We are followers of Jesus. And we get this name, and then we hear this story. We see it in Acts 13 and 14 of their whole journey, their first missionary journey to Galatia, of all places, that we're in. And then we pick up where we're at today. So now that you're at in Acts, let's go to the right a little bit. You're going to go past Romans, then 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and let's land our Bibles or our fingers at, depending on if you're using your phone or tablet or computer at home, Galatians 2. Galatians chapter 2, and we come to this scene, it says in verse 1, there was an interval of 14 years, and that's some of their journey, how they went to Galatia, they, well, we're going to learn about that as we go through this letter, but it says that after 14 years, I went up again, Paul did, to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem's up on a hill, and you always have to go up to it. He went up with Barnabas, taking Titus along also, the Greek. Now, this is why he did it. He didn't want to go because he'd been to conferences before, but it was because of a revelation that I went up. Paul's probably like, I've, I've done this, been there. You know, I'm good. We, we got some, we're a missionary. We're doing great things. And God's like, no, he wakes him up in a dream. Maybe he speaks to him in a vision, but he had a revelation. And God said, I want you to go. Paul, I need you to go. There's something happening right up there in, in the center that is theologically important that's going to set the tone for the rest of the church. And we need this. We need you, Paul. you got to come because you're seeing something happen that these, these Jewish believers who are following me do not see what I'm doing in the other parts of the world. The Gentiles, like Paul is this awesome missionary. He's reaching the lost in India. Think of it that way. He's reaching the lost in Thailand. He's reaching the lost in America, in the ghettos, in the, in the cities, in the all around the world, in every island. He's reaching a people group that nobody was reaching before. And they were known as the Gentiles. That's pretty much everybody in this room, except for if you're a Jew. How, how, many, how many of you are Gentiles? Anybody a Gentile, not a Jew? You're not a Jew. Be proud of that. Yeah. Anybody Jewish? Just me? Man, come on, man. Come on, man. Okay, sorry. Sorry, that was, I shouldn't have gone there. All right, all right. All right, my bad. My bad. All right. <laughs> All right, so let's regroup. regroup. <laughs> Jew, Jew um, 
you Gentiles out there, Barnabas, Paul, and Titus were a big element. They were a big help for this amazing, amazing opportunity for all of us. Imagine not knowing the hope to have in Christ Jesus. See, the Jews were the special chosen people of God, and yet not everybody got that opportunity, not unless you had to convert. See, if you converted to Judaism, you had to follow all the laws, like the Sabbath day. Take Saturday off, don't do a thing. That's what Chick-fil-A does, just on the wrong day, today. Can't go there today. They, if you were a, uh, a, Jew, uh, uh, a Gentile man that came, became a Jew, uh, a Jew, you had to get circumcised. You're like, what? I'm 30-something, dude, right? No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's cutting off the foreskin of, of a certain... We can talk about that later. You can look at that in, on, your, on your devices and stuff. But it was, a, it was a major identity crisis that people had as a Jew. It set them apart. And in fact, Jews really wanted people to experience Judaism. If you came into the church, into the, to the law of following the Jews, you had to do these things. You, had, you couldn't eat pork anymore or certain seafood. You had to give it up. And some of you were like, no, 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 I'm done. I'm done. I need my pig. I need it. And, 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 and they're like, no, you need to follow the law. And this was the thing. And what was happening in the church, what Paul didn't know and why God brought him, is because some people in the church who were converted into Christians started to bring back some of the Old Testament laws. They started to mix and mingle, put it all together. And those two don't dance. They don't, you cannot dance together. You ever dance with somebody who's with two left feet? It's brutal, brutal. And you're like, just please, just, just don't. My wife and I, we just hold each other. We just rock, okay? We, we just rock. Or you, you know, that's what they do in high school. They just kind of, right? That's, a, that's a so weird. Okay, that's why I'm so glad COVID happened. So no, we, we don't even do dances like that. So the reality is we have this like identity crisis and, and this thing is happening in the church and all of a sudden, look at it here, verse, verse, um, verse two. Let's pick it up again. It became a revelation that I went up and I submitted to the gospel. I wanted them to hear about the story was happening, which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear I might be running or had run in vain. I was gonna be respectful. I didn't wanna overshadow. Look what I'm doing over here. No, I'm just... This is neat what God's doing. But not even Titus, verse 3, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. See, see? They not, what God was doing in the other most parts of the world, they were not getting fully converted into Judaism. If you did that, that was called a Judaizer. They wanted to make sure you follow the law and you were in the New Testament. New Testament meaning this way. Jesus took all, this, all the laws on the cross. And it tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that we're going to see he became a curse for us, having died on a cross for us. Jesus took the weight, the pain, the suffering of all of humanity, past, present, and future, on his shoulders. He died for all, and he fulfilled 613 laws. He's perfect. And he died, and we know he did, and fulfilled it because he rose from the grave. And because he lives, he now offers us a new covenant to follow. A new, it's fresh. New in the Greek means fresh. 
It's a fresh life. And this is what he says, love one another the way that I love you. Lay down your life for somebody else. Would you do that for me? This is how people will know that you're a follower of me. Don't mix in the Old Testament stuff. You don't need to. You have liberty. You have freedom in Christ Jesus. You have been forgiven. You have grace because there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. Nothing. You try. You show me a good person and I'll show you they're wrong. They've sinned and fallen short. How many of you lied today? Not yet. How, how many of you maybe have stolen something? You're like, I don't steal. Remember that pencil you took from that kid in third grade and you never gave it back and you chewed on it? Or that pen you borrowed when you, you did your voting thing, okay? And it's still in your ear and you walked away. Oh, you're like, no, I stole it. And like, like all these things, we've all have fallen short. The wages of sin is death, but, 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 but. The free gift of Jesus Christ by believing on him is eternal life. You can be set free from the wages of all the sin. You and I deserve death, but Jesus gives us hope. He gives us life. He gives us a new beginning, a purpose. But for some reason, we drift. We, we move away from the very simple things, and Paul's starting to hear this, and he's so glad he brought Titus. So glad he brought Titus, because he's looking at a bro like, dude, you're not circumcised, and he's like, I know, praise God. He's like, this is good. And, it, and then it says there in verse four, check it out, verse four, it was, become, it was because of what was happening, disturbance of the force, so to speak. It was because of a false brother secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. They were looking for, oh, no, look, look they're not doing that. They're eating. They're, they're eating pig. Uh-uh, they shouldn't be doing that. These Judaizers, these bad guys. So I love what Paul says here, verse five. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, for even a moment, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. I was gonna fight this to the bitter end, but for those who are with me of high reputation, eh, what they were, that makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality, so why should I? Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. No, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, and... Peter was to the circumcised, to the Jews. Well, he who works effectively in Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles. Recognizing this, the grace that had been given to me, James, Cephas, who is Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. I got the fellowship of the ring. How cool is that? Like, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they do the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor. Like, wow, that's good. That's great. Something I don't want to ever do, Paul says, is I don't want to add to the gospel, and I don't want to take away from the gospel. Jesus Christ is more than enough. What he did for us at the cross is sufficient. What he proved in his resurrection from the grave is that he has conquered all things, that he lives amongst us, that he lives within us. Greater is he who is in you than the one who's in this world, and he has conquered death, he's conquered sin, and you can know that anything that you could ever have done or will do is covered by the blood of the Lamb. It's covered by Jesus, and he has forgiven you. 
and he loves you. And he's like, not even an hour. You want to highlight, circle, underline something? Verse five, do not miss it. Not even for a moment will I stop this. He's like, I want to make this an anchor for my soul. I love this verse out of Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. It says it this way. It says, therefore we, followers of Christ, who have fled to him for refuge. Like, I look for hope. I look for a place of shelter. I, I need a, just a place to come to. He's my refuge and strength. A very present help in time of need. He says, we who have fled for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Oh, it's so good. See, Paul would write it this way, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, not of yourselves. There's nothing that you can do. In fact, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that anybody should boast. This is a gift. God's forgiveness to you is a gift. There's no strings attached. You've seen those commercials? They got the little, uh, little um, fine print at the bottom. It says, if you buy this car now, you can get this and this and this but only have to pay 9.5% on everything. You know, like all these little things that you don't know about, but that car looks really good. But there's a cost to it. You see, when you come to discover the hope that Jesus Christ has, has to offer, he offers a place of refuge. He offers a place of protection, safety, encouragement, hope. He offers his love, his forgiveness, his grace, and he doesn't hold your sin, what you did yesterday. He doesn't hold it against you. He doesn't hold what you did, what you're going to do tomorrow. He doesn't look at you and say, you're such a jerk. What were you doing? You took my grace and you cheapened it. How dare you? Off with your head. I'm not, I'm not following you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say like, man, remember what you did three years ago? How you did that and that to that individual? See my hand? Watch my rear. I'm leaving. I'm not going to listen to you. That is not God. He doesn't turn his back. He doesn't look to the future and say, ah, you're gone. He doesn't look now and say, forget it. He looks at you right now and he sees you covered by the blood. And he says, it's a gift and it's a gift that keeps on giving and he doesn't take it back. That would be called a re-gifter or a, or a gift to that. This Christmas, don't take back the gift that you give to somebody. That's not grace. Grace is giving it freely. But in this case, it was given with great cost. The life and death of our precious Savior. But he's greater than all those things because he conquered, he conquered it all. And Paul, Paul remembered that. He would say this in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 10. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. It's not for me, not what I was, but it's God's grace alone that holds me close. Paul held on to this, and I don't want you to miss this part because this is what we do as Christians. We tend to do what Peter, Peter, you know, Peter, Peter's looked in the Bible as one of the most important, influential people in all of the Bible. He's just like you and me. We say stuff we don't really mean, but yet it comes out. <laughs> Jesus calls, calls him out, like, get behind me, Satan. He's like, Speaking to him, Peter's one of those guys that he's like, I'll never deny you, but he denied him three times. Peter's, Peter's that guy with his pocket knife and he cuts some guy's ear because he's just really not a good at aim. I don't know why. I mean, there's a whole body and he just, <laughs> just misses. 
He's one of these just guys. He's just like an average dude that Jesus looks at and goes, hey, I want to walk with you. I like you. Would you come follow me? Peter's a great friend of God, and, and, and he's a lover of the Lord. And yet, Peter, when he gathers around individuals and people, he does something I think what most of us do. We tend to go back to who we once were. Look at it in verse 11. It says, when Cephas, who was Peter, came to Antioch, because they just had a great conference, it was a good time, and he comes and visits Saul and Barnabas, Titus, and he says, I had to oppose Peter to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to a coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with us Gentiles. He was at our lunch table, eating our Lunchables, having a good time, and... But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him with this hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas, my, my best friend who called me out and brought my encourager, he's not encouraging me now. What's going on? Why are you hanging out with this guy? He got carried away by this hypocrisy. By the word hypocrisy means like a play actor. Someone who's playing the part. It's not really who you are. You're just playing a part. You're acting. And he's like, I don't get you, Peter. What are you doing? You, you've actually done something so much. It's actually changing course. You're drifting. You're getting off the anchor, our refuge, our strength. You're moving off. Why are you seeking the old things? Why are you mixing in the Old Testament again when you don't need to? Jesus has fulfilled the law. The law of the covenant, the old covenant, it's, it's been fulfilled. You don't need to go back there. Why do you go back there? So he says, verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of this gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews... How is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? I bet you that hit Peter right in the gut. Why are you acting like these Jews when you, you, you know who you are in Christ? Why are you going back to this? We just had a conference. Remember that, remember that conference? By the way, if you want to see that conference in full, uh, go back today. Look at Acts 15. You'll see the fullness of it. It was there at the conference that he says briefly in these 10 verses in Galatians 2, 1 through 10, that conference is, is unpacked for us. And they basically said, all right, the grace of God is simply enough. Here's three things, though, that Christians need to do. Not worship idols, not commit sexual immorality, and, and don't mess around with blood of fallen idols. Don't, don't do that stuff. Three things. Everything else, we are free in Christ. Have fun. Go at it. Why are you doing this, Peter? What are you doing? And he calls him out in the presence of all. By the way, he does this because he's got to hold the line. He doesn't want anything to seep into this church. Remember in verse five, he's like, not even for a moment, not even for an hour, I'm going to let this slip. The grace of God is so important. This is a theological fundamental thing that needs to not go away from anywhere else. Guys, the grace of God is simply enough. The moment you believe Jesus Christ as your Savior, you realize, I'm, I need 
somebody greater than me. I am not my own God. I cannot be. I realize I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus is the only way. When you believe, that, when you believe Jesus Christ to be your salvation, you, are, you become a child of God. There, there's this equation I learned growing up. Um, I was taught this, and maybe you've seen it before, but I just want you to see it with me. It's a math equation in word. Here, let's put it up for the screen for you. This is what salvation is. It's grace plus faith plus that was like two people. Praise God that read really well. Okay, let's look on the screen. Let's, let's say that out loud together. Everybody, three, two, one. Grace plus faith plus nothing equals salvation. Can you type that at home? Type that out. Type that out. Share that out. This is so important. Do not miss this. Let's do it one more time. Three, two, one. Grace plus faith plus nothing equals salvation. We have been free in Christ Jesus. Jesus has saved me by his grace. Grace alone is a free gift. No strings attached. Through faith. Believing in Jesus Christ. Plus, getting baptized? No, no. Plus, going to church every week? No, no, no. Plus, getting married in the church? No, no, no. Plus, uh, you name it. I mean, think of, think of something. Think of something that you want to add to it because there can't be. That would be heresy. That would be not good. That would be bad. Uh, if I could say it another way, not good. Okay, I can't, I can't think of it. It's just not good. Grace plus faith plus nothing equals salvation. This is the salvation that Jesus Christ offers to all of us. And it's, you, you think like, why, why don't we do this? But you know what people do? People do this all the time. I, I feel like I run into them everywhere. Yeah, but you need to do this to be a true Christian. You're not really a true Christian unless you do this and this and this. Oh, come on, man. All right, I did there again. You, you don't, you don't want to do that. You don't need to do that. There's nothing to add to make sure that you're saved. Nothing you can do. Remember, he said it this way in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It is by grace you've been saved. Not of yourself. There's no, no works you can do at all. There's not one work you can do that you should boast about, that earns salvation. Jesus Christ has done it all for you. And he simply puts it this way, and he unpacks it this way, um, verse 15. Look at it, verse 15. He says it this way. Let, let, me, let me get it for you, Peter, and for the rest of the church. Because this is what he discovered, I believe, in his time of solitude, when he was in Arabia, when he was away just for three years. He had to unpack legalism. He had to remove it from his lifestyle and had to hold on to what really mattered, grace. And he says simply, verse 15, we are Jews, right? By nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. You, he says, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. You're not justified by sitting at this table over here with hanging out with the Jews, okay? Just because you're afraid of these circumcised guys now for some reason because James brothers came in here and they have to, you can't eat pork now. Come on, bro. Seriously? You've even, you've even convinced Barnabas it's okay. Like, imagine that. By the way, I, I grew up in a Jewish Christian home. We were not allowed to eat pork at all because it was just not clean. Even though God has cleaned it, it was just something that we grew up with. So I want you to, if my mother-in-law is watching, I just want you to know I love your daughter so much. Our first date that we had was at her house and her mom made me sliced ham. 
Now, man, you give me baby back ribs, you give me something else, but sliced ham? So I, I, I've loved this, this girl for a long, I've always liked my wife for a long time. And, I, and I, so I ate it. And they're like, wow, well done. Here, have some more. <laughs> Three times eating this plate. Uh, brutal. But I loved her. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll be the Jew to the Jew, the Gentile to Gentile. I, I, whatever it takes. And by the way, if you ever invite us to your house, I'm not a big fan of, of ham, just saying. Because see, people, every time they invite us over, and we'll, they make ham for us. I don't know why. Uh, like, listen, listen, and then apply. Okay, all right. So anyway, so never, he's like, nevertheless, don't act like this. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith. What are you justified by? Faith. Come on, what are you justified? Faith, meaning believing in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh is justified. You can't do anything. He brings up this word justified. Big, big word. What does it mean? What does it look like? That is why I've got my... My board. All right, you ready? Yeah. Here he is. That's a good dude. Thanks for... <laughs> this, this is us. This is us. This is your life. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation, but this guy thinks he can. He's super happy. He's excited. But see, you have some eyes that are watching you. You have some eyes up here. You got some eyes. These are, these are God's eyes. Here, we'll give my nose. Okay. We don't know what he looks like, all right, but but we know he's always watching. He sees us. And something he sees in us is he sees that we're a little evil. Okay, that's an evil face. I, I tried. All right. But what happens in our life sometimes is that we have fallen short of the glory of God. So this is, we've fallen. I don't know if you can see that quite well, but he's sad. And, and you've fallen. We've fallen short of God's, of God's glory. And, and this is what he says, again, if you can look at it again. We have been justified by faith in Christ Jesus, not by the works of the law, so that with works of the law, no flesh is justified. And then he says this in verse 17 and 18. Don't miss this point. For, but if we, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? He said, no, may it never be. Because he says, for if I rebuild what it's, what I once tried to destroy, I proved myself to be a transgressor. You see, for through the law, I died to the law. I died to the law so that I might live to God. He unpacks something that I'm about to show you simplistically on a whiteboard, and hopefully you can take that whiteboard, that white space, and, and put it in your life and translate it. He's like, I've been declared righteous by God. I've been declared perfect in the eyes of God, even though I'm fallen short of his glory. Why? Because I've been declared justified. This is what justified means simply. Let's break it down. It means just if I'd never sinned. Because God sees me perfect through his lens. How is that possible? You see, when Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. His, his payment of death translated 
in us the shedding of his blood. And his blood that was poured would be, as John the Baptist would say, the blood of the lamb that would take away the sins of the world. See, the Jews always had to sacrifice an animal, and that animal sacrifice, their blood, would cleanse them from all their iniquities, from all of their sins, from all the wrong things, and that blood would be covered over them for their year. But Jesus Christ, he wasn't just an animal. No, he's not an animal. He's a man, the God-man. And God himself gave his life for humanity. And that would be a good sacrifice for maybe a moment. But see, he died, was buried, but he rose again. And because he lives, that sacrifice now covers us of all of the wrong things we have done. It covers everything that we have done. His blood is over all. And so now God, and I'm using purple because he's not because he's got purple eyes, because purple is the color for royalty. Now we are covered, not just by the blood of the lamb, but God, God sees us as his royal priesthood. We are covered in it. We are one of his own kids. In fact, he doesn't even see. He doesn't even see our failures anymore. He doesn't see our faults anymore. He sees that we have been covered. And let's put it this way. Let's, 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 let's write it. He's covered our, our past, our present, and our future. He has knocked everything out because what he's done at the cross. And what Paul's unpacking, he's trying to commit and tell the guys, look, you want to rebuild what you once tried to destroy? Why do it? It's foolish. He says, verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law. I died to those old things. I don't need to mix it in anymore. I, I am no longer who I once was. It is no longer I who live, but listen, as he says in 2.20, it is Christ Jesus that lives within me. And so the life that I now live that people will see is what God sees. They don't see me as a, as a loser. They don't see me as a, as a bad guy. They see me as a, I got to get better hair. Okay. I'll just make him bald. He looks good. Okay. All right. Okay. I am now forgiven by Jesus. I'm covered. My past is forgiven. My present is forgiven. My future is forgiven. I'm declared right in the eyes of God. Just if I had never sinned. He says, don't you see that, Peter? It's no longer you that live, but Christ Jesus who lives within you. So now that the life that you live, do this, Peter. Do this, church. Live for Jesus who gave his life for you. That's just, that's all he wants you to do. That's all he sees. He sees you as a child of God. It's no longer you. It's the past. It's you in the present in Christ. Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I love you. You are amazing to me. Why can't you just recognize what I've done? Stop mixing in the old. Because a lot of times, you know what we do? We just, we just want to add two things. We want to adopt and bring in our past. And we want to say, well, I'm not really saved. I don't think I am saved because, because I did this yesterday. I lied. Man, I, I, I've, I've fallen back. I, I, I've cheated against my spouse. I thought about committed suicide. I've, I've done things with my life and my body 
after I made a decision to follow Christ, I, I guess I'm not, I was never really saved. Listen, the grace of God is sufficient. I am not the giver, but Jesus Christ is. And when he gives something, he means it. You might be faithful to some things, but I promise you every single one of us in this room is unfaithful at times, even to the greatest one of all. Even though we might be unfaithful, God Almighty will never be unfaithful to his promises. And what he gives, he cannot take away. Because he says, today is a day of salvation. If you believe on me, you are mine now and forever, always. If you've asked Christ Jesus into your life, I want you to know today you're a child of God and there is no need to have an identity crisis, but to rest in the assurance of your salvation that Jesus Christ, his blood has covered you as far as the east is from the west, that he loves you deeply. But if you have never received the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation to believe in Jesus. He wants you to. He wants you to receive the fullness and the freedom that you have in Christ. Would you believe on him today? Would you let him wash away your sins and cleanse you? And for you to say, actually, it is well with my soul. I love for all of us to bow our heads right where we're at and let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. We want to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for your life, your love, your testimony. It's because of you we live, we, we gather, we listen and want to obey and follow you. You've accepted us on your terms and your conditions. You've looked at a man named Saul and, and you loved him in spite of all of his faults and failures. He was once a wretched man but he discovered something great that he would call amazing. And it was simply your grace because your grace is more than enough. Lord, I'm so, I'm so excited. I love what we've heard today. Your word is amazing and without it, there is no hope, but Lord, we have hope in you. Thank you, Jesus. And for those that maybe have never received the gift of salvation to believe on you, Lord, we ask right now that you would just move on their hearts. And I'd like to ask with everybody's head bowed for a moment. And if you are a follower of Christ already, I would ask for you to be praying for those who are listening right now. Maybe on the verge of never received the gift of salvation. Yes, I'm talking to you. You've never asked Christ to be the Lord of your life, to believe in him, to receive a gift that he loves to just want to give. See, God loved you so much that he gave his life. And if you would believe in him, you would have eternal life today today knowing that you have a family to call home. If that is you, you'd like to receive the gift of salvation, I'd love to just lead you in a prayer. Would you say this with me? Just say, dear God, I believe in you. I believe you came to this earth for me. Thank you for dying on a cross for me and for loving me right where I'm at. I believe in you today as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for rising from the grave and loving me right where I'm at. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen.